If you have your Bible with you today, if you're ready for some word, go ahead and get it out. If you have a Bible on your phone, get that out, turn the ringer off, <laughs> and, uh, and find with me Hebrews chapter 10. If you've been with us, you know I'm teach, teaching a series. This will be the, let's see, th- the third part in the series. And if you're new with us today, we're glad you're jumping in on part three instead of part four, because you'd have been way behind. <laughs> and uh, I want to get into some things today that will help each and every one of us. My series is called, As You See the Day Approaching. As you see the day approaching. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 24, it reads, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Praise God. So he used the same words that I used. Isn't that, isn't that kind of cool how he was able to do that and prophetically see into the future what message series I'd be bringing and put it right there in the book of Hebrews. All right. Amen. The revelation of our times should move us to actions that are, word of the day, commensurate to our times. All right. They should be appropriate. Now, the closer we get to the day, the more we should know about it. Meaning, if you're walking with God, the closer you get, the more you're aware of that. Even though you might not be able to put your finger on the calendar, but you know we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there. Something's coming, something's coming, something's coming. The day of the Lord is at hand. But the more we know it, then the more we should live accordingly or live prepared for that day. And so I want us to be not only mindful of the time in which we live, to be perceptive, to be discerning of, our, of the hour, but also to live accordingly. Wouldn't it be a shame to know something's coming and not do anything about it? Amen. It's like you have people in your family, you're getting, you're getting ready to go on a trip, and it's the night before, and you have people in your family that hadn't even started packing. It's 11 at night, and you leave at 6 in the morning. And they say, yeah, I think I better go pack. And you say, you think? (laughs) You knew this was coming for eight months. Spiritually, people are doing the same. What does it mean? How should should our actions be uh, different during this time? Well, the baselines are simple. I think we should pray more, not less. The closer we get... You increase spiritual activity. You don't reduce it. You do it more. That's what's required. Um, We gather together more. We get together like this. More frequently, not less. We exhort one another. We We are considerate of others more so than before, not less. Right? He said, as you see it coming, do these things more than you used to. Why would we be told to do that? Because some, even though this verse and other verses are in there, what's happening? Some in our day are doing it less. They're decreasing rather than increasing. We're getting closer to the big day, and yet they are waning in their spiritual life and in their activity. They are not waxing. 
<laughs> they are not increasing in, in these matters, and we need to watch out for that. Uh, even those who, who run numbers and study church trends and so forth in our country, they will tell you that uh, in our day now, not just talking about this year, but in the last number of years, that more and more Christians gather together less frequently less frequently where they used to be all the time, you know, every time the doors are open, now they are every other week, once a month, that kind of stuff. It just, they're, they're waning in their spiritual activity. And that's just so illogical that I want us to be, you know, woken up, say, do you know what time it is? Lest we fall prey to the trends of our culture lest there's more of the world's culture in us than we are in the world influencing it. And so this is happening in our day, but we are taking some time to look at last day's events, what precedes the coming of the Lord, and the, the characteristics of society, and so that we can be aware, and some of them are negative, by the way. Uh, I can't make those go away. They just are. Some of them are negative. But we're told these things not um, so we would despair, not so we should throw up our hands and say, I just can't do anything about this. Lord Jesus, come quickly and get us out of here. No, but, but so that we can uh, be prepared. Or, or let me say it this way. First of all, so we won't be surprised. If you have a wrong concept, you think better, 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 out of here meaning the condition of the world, meaning the condition of life. Everything's just going to get more godly, more righteous, more holy, more blessed, and then we're out of here. That's not really the picture the scriptures paint of the last day's earth. Yeah. And so if we know that, we're not surprised by it. We're not caught off guard. We're not um, disillusioned in any way. But secondly, we're told about it so we can be prepared. What's happening in a negative way does not have to get inside of your heart, does not have to be inside of us. Now, now Paul wrote to Timothy. Uh, we read some of that last week, but I, I want to show you 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 as one of these passages that should keep us awake. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, he writes, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith because they are smarter than everybody else. Oh, no, excuse me. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I want you just to notice the seriousness of this language. Some will depart from the faith. That's going to happen. There's nothing I can do individually. There's nothing we can do corporately. And if we do it enough, that verse is going to disappear out of our Bibles. That will happen. And if we look around, we know we're already in this time, we're already in this day. That is happening. Okay? It's not happening in me. I pray it's not happening in you. But it is happening that some will depart from the faith. Now, anyone who has a close relationship with God, if you're walking with the Lord, to even imagine that, to even think about that for a moment is abhorrable. 
I mean, you, it's, it's just unimaginable that you could ever see yourself walking away from God, departing from the faith. I mean, what if you, we were to say uh, to a married couple, they're together, they're in love, they're committed for their life, and we told them, you know, at one point in the future, you guys are going to get divorced. I mean, they would say, What? No way, I can't even imagine that. That's unimaginable. What a horrible thing. How could you even think that or say that? That's the way someone ought to feel when when presented with the possibility that they could leave God. Ah, what are you talking about? I would would never do that. In fact, when it comes to uh, this word, I believe it's supposed to jolt us. This word, some shall depart. It's supposed to jolt us to the reality of what will happen in the lives of some so that we personally can take responsibility for our own walk with God and do whatever is necessary to ensure that it's not us, that we are not a part of that departure. Yeah? In in similar manner, if we were to think about a marriage, uh, we know this. Some of you know it firsthand, but we know this, that some people uh, at their their wedding day, they make, well, everyone who gets married, really, unless they got married at the chapel of love. (laughs) But but, back to the future reference. Those are allowable in here. Uh, uh, (laughs) Um. But they, they give their love and make commitments and put on the rings and make, you know, make their vows and sometimes take communion and they are dedicating, committing their lives to one another for the rest of their lives, right? It's a wonderful time. It's a glorious celebration. Everyone's happy about it. But how many know we know, if you've been alive for more than a minute, that sometimes in the future, those commitments, those covenants get dissolved, And sometimes people who are madly in love, as we say, fully devoted and committed at some point in the future can't stand each other. And who could imagine that? I mean, when you see, I see the way you were, the way you were together, and now you're saying this about that person. How did you ever get there? How did that happen? Yet we know it does. There's a reality to that happening. It's one of the reasons that we as a church, as pastors, we put requirements on people that we're going to be involved with in regards to their wedding and their marriage. And, and when people, people call, which they do all the time, and say, hey, is there a pastor that can marry us? And we say, here's the qualifications. <laughs> here's, we, uh, yes, we, we're thrilled and happy about marriage and about weddings. We have premarital counseling. We have this class, this book, this system that we want you to go through. And, and sometimes they say, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, we already know. We're already in love and we are already committed. We just want to get married. And we say, you know, well, we really can't help you with that then. And some might think, well, that's rude. No, it comes from being around the block a few times. Not our first rodeo. Right? And, uh, and we want people to be prepared. Because just because you want to love and make that commitment today, that is not a guarantee that you're going to feel that way in a year or five years or 10 years or 20 or 50. That's not a guarantee. So we want to do what's necessary up front 
to help ensure a successful outcome. Yeah, and we want to give you stuff today, and then how many know uh, post-marital, post-wedding practices, habits are necessary for thriving in life. And, and, And what happens with some is because they do not practice, they are not in the habit of doing things that foster a strong, healthy, lasting relationship, it, uh, it gets, the, the foundation gets eaten away. That doesn't mean they weren't sincere when they first said it, that doesn't mean they weren't all in, but the lack of practice, the lack of, of habits that are conducive to the, a strong, lasting marriage are not in place. Everybody looking at me real quiet now. Say, you're talking about me, aren't you? (laughs) Well, who'd you want me to talk to today? (laughs) What do I I mean by that? I mean simple things like sometimes couples don't spend adequate time together. Sometimes they they lose... um, respect and kindness and showing love and forgiveness they lack they lose maybe intimacy and and uh and those type of uh selfless living principles towards and they so they they lose some of that groundwork that foundation what happens over time is they didn't wake up one day say i don't like you anymore but what happened is they're losing the habits that produce that yeah uh, my purpose today is just to use that as an illustration, so you're off the hook now for the rest of the time. Because and, and, and primarily, uh, I want to talk to you about your relationship with God. And there are some very, uh, very there are very many similarities and crossovers between the, the marriage relationship and our, and, our, and our relationship with God. And what's happening is, like he said in Hebrews there, uh, not forsaking the assembling as the manner of some is. That means as the habit of some is. People lose their spiritual habits that foster lifelong commitment, that foster health and, and, and growth. And in our day, some people are decreasing in spiritual activity while others are increasing. Can I tell you which ones are gonna be most vulnerable to departing the faith? I think it should be evident and should be obvious. It seems to me that it's very difficult to remain static spiritually, to be in the same place perpetually. I'm just trying to be the same. I think it's more likely this. You judge for yourself in your own life. We are either making progress or we are going backwards. Very difficult to just stay the same. You've either got your foot on the gas, you're either making intentional efforts to be more spiritual, to draw near to God, or you are slowly drifting away. Sometimes we call that backsliding. Yeah? Uh, Similar to a car, if you put your car in neutral and are on a hill, even just a slight one, it's a slight, well, without a parking brake on or something, you're going to start rolling backwards or with just the slightest pressure, you're going to start going backwards. And if it's just a very slight decline, it's not, your car isn't moving very fast. Uh, but this happens spiritually to people. We must be in gear. Amen. Or the nicer way to say it is, get your rear in gear. <laughs> Right, 
we must be doing something to make progress or we will, sometimes without realizing it, be drifting backwards. And by the way, everything good is uphill. Everything worthwhile takes a little bit of effort, takes some intention to get it. There are depths of God, there are resources and experiences in Him that are only found by those who look for them, only found by those who pursue them, who call after Him, who pray like they mean it, who pray with an intensity, who seek God and obey even when it's difficult and they're tempted to do the opposite. Some people will experience God in greater measures than others. I trust that will be you. I trust that will be us. We are not going to just settle for whatever happens. Whichever way the wind blows, we're going to roll with it. No, sometimes we're going to go against the wind. Jesus made different statements about the last days. One of them is Matthew 24 and 12, where he said, because lawlessness will abound, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Consider this as well, this will happen. Or we can say, in our day, it is happening. The love of some is growing cold. I can't stop that from happening around the world. I can't say, we can pray this away. That is something that he said will happen. However, I don't have to be part of it. I don't have to grow cold. He didn't say it would be me. My name's not in there. Your name's not in there. They didn't say you would. Say, but will I? Well, I'm going to say just mathematically it's a possibility that he was talking about you. Yikes. But obviously it doesn't have to be. We don't have to be a part of it. We don't have to be influenced by it. But when we are surrounded by sin, love is hindered. When we embrace it mentally, when we take it in through the eyes, when we are surrounded by it continually, that this is why we are told in the scriptures to be separate. Okay, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. So we're told to be separate for a reason. You get connected to stuff, and the temperature starts dropping in your love for God. And when it just goes down a degree or two or three, you don't even notice. You think I'm just as good as I've always been. I'm fine. I still love God. What, you mean it's not an all or nothing? <laughs> yeah, it's not an all or nothing. It can gradually decrease. And that's why he used the language here about growing cold. The love of many will grow cold. It doesn't get instantly cold. No one is serving God wholeheartedly, just like the marriage again. No one has a great relationship fully in love and committed and dedicated to one another, and they wake up one morning and say, "Ah, I'm done with this. (laughs) No, what happened is the temperature dropped, and it dropped, and it dropped, and it dropped. And for a long time, you didn't even know it was happening. You didn't recognize it. You didn't think anything, there was no problem. In fact, you were drifting away, but didn't really see it. And people do this with their love, with their uh, love for God, with their love for others. But Jesus basically said that this happens over time. Their love will grow cold. It is this combination of lawlessness and neglect that allows our love for God and others to grow cold. Now, 
Basically, this verse says that when lawlessness increases, love decreases. So love doesn't decrease as a choice, not an intentional one. It decreases because other things are allowed in. And so we watch, we keep our guard up to make sure other thoughts, other uh, concepts, other philosophies, other ways of living are not allowed to take over because they will push out the love of God in our lives. And so people who are in love with God, of course, don't set out to grow cold. No one says, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm working out my five-year plan. In five years, I'm going to have this much money saved up. I'm going to have to do this in my career. I'm going to have this kind of, my house is this. And in 10 years, I'm going to have this. In 15 years, I'm going to have this. I'm going to do this. This is my goal. This is my plan. On year 16, I'm walking away from God. <laughs> year 16, I am going to depart from the faith. I mean, no one would ever do that. No one who really walks with God would ever plan to do that. But with some, it happens. With some, that's their experience. Amen. These things are trying to sneak up on all of us. Yeah. A, a friend of mine told me years ago about his, his upbringing, how he was in a Christian family, and at, at the age of, I believe he told me when he was five years old, he received the Lord. And was saved as a five. You know, five-year-olds can receive Jesus. Some are very much ready and know enough to say yes to the Lord at, at a very young age. He said he did. And something happened, though, in his family outside of his control in the following years. And the way he described it, of course, he's, he's viewing it through a child's eyes at the time. But he said, we used to go to church all the time. It was a regular part of our family, our upbringing, when he was real, real young. He said, but then we stopped going once in a while. We'd still go. We just, for different reasons, no direct decision. We're turning our back on the Lord, nothing like that. They just got busy doing other things, and they would go less. And over time, going every week turned into a few times a week, turned into a couple times a month, turned into a, you know, couple times a quarter turned into, you know, how, 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 it, how it bled. And basically, they got to a point without really choosing to do, without even necessarily taking offense. And they just weren't going. And so he grew up then throughout his teen years, and no one said, we don't believe in God. We don't love Jesus anymore. No one did that. But they weren't involved. They weren't, they didn't have practices that fostered that relationship. And so he grew up away from God, and what happened with him, he's, he got involved in all kinds of worldly business in, in his teen years, and even became an alcoholic, and was living very worldly with drugs and everything that happens in the world, and, and it was a rough life. By the time I met him, he had come back to the Lord at like age 20 or something like that, rededicated his life to God, and, it was, and things were going well there. But it's interesting how I don't think his parents knew what they were doing to the kids, they didn't realize that they never would have done that intentionally. They never would have put their kids through that. They thought, well, we're still a family. Everything's good. Everything's right. We still love God. We're still believers in the Lord. But their practices allowed the enemy to get in and wreak havoc in their kids' lives. 
I remember seeing this, this uh, article a while back from the Babylon Bee. Has anyone ever seen that? That's a satire site, so made-up stories, you know. They're becoming real popular now because the president tweets them out. <laughs> but this particular uh, satirical story said, the headline was, after 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith. <laughs> you can look it up and find it if you want. But it basically went on to talk about how, you know, they went to church once a quarter and they talked about all the sporting events and all the things that they did on the weekends. And then their child was, you know, grew up and they were, what? You don't want to go to church? What? You don't have a deep, profound, inward commitment to God? What? How did this happen? Everybody okay? You know this principle in the scripture, that's true. Not, not all people, not all Christians, not all believers love God equally. You know, and somebody, if you say that to somebody, are you judging how I love God? Well, judge yourself. You don't need me to judge you. Judge yourself. That would be more accurate. I can't judge because I don't know everything you know. You don't know everything I know. So the outward judging is very difficult to get right. But Jesus did say this over in John 14. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So we should be able to measure our own love for God, not by how much we say, I love you, not by how loud we sing the song, but how we keep his word. And so if I'm keeping his word, that is an expression, that is a manifestation and demonstration of my love for God. But it doesn't do me any good to have the bumper sticker and wear the t-shirt and have everything else going if I'm not obeying his word. Because my lack of obedience to the Lord's word basically shouts loud and clear, I love me. I love what I want to do. I love a whole bunch of stuff. And the Lord might be down there on the list somewhere. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34, Jesus said this, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day, there it is again, come on you unexpectedly. That day come upon you how? Unexpectedly. unexpectedly. If we don't take heed to ourselves, so that's kind of what this message is today, a little self-reflection, little inward looking, how am I doing? How's my walk with God? How's my love? What's the temperature of my relationship with God? He said, if you don't take heed to yourselves and you, your hearts become weighed down with this stuff, it's going to catch you off guard. The day's going to come and you're going to say, what? Already? What? What's going on here? And so I can see that my ability to discern the time in which I live and even the activity of God towards my life is determined by my heart's condition. When I have a deep and profound, and we could maybe just say hot love for God, then I'm also sharp. I'm also quick to discern and recognize the enemy's plans versus the Lord's plans. Yeah? And this is up to me to maintain. My salvation is not maintained by my good works or my lack thereof. Right? But how many know my relationship with God and my love for him is maintained by my practices? I do what's necessary. Yeah? Listen to this in the, the Passion Translation. It reads, uh, be careful that you never allow your hearts 
to grow cold. That who allows? God allows? No, you allow it. That you never allow your hearts to grow cold. Remain passionate and free from anxiety and the worries of this life. Then you will not be caught off guard by what happens. Wow. Don't let me come and find you drunk or careless in living like everybody else. Wow, what a, what, what a strong word. And so immunity from coldness comes through remaining passionate for God, free from anxiety and worries. If I can just do that, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be sharp. I'm going to be alert. I will be prepared when that day comes. Stay fired up. Stay impassioned with the love of God in you and your relationship with him. Refuse to worry or be filled with anxiety. And how many know, that's a, you have to do that real intentionally this year. People are worried, they're afraid, there are all kinds of anxiety, they're anxious about the election, they're anxious about all the virus, anxious about all these things. Just say, no, not me, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to become so burdened down and cold in my heart with those things that I lose sight of, of the Lord himself. I lose sight of his activity and the time in which I, which I live. Because we cannot do both. We must say, no, I'm not going to look at that anymore. No, I'm not going to consume that information. I'm going to cut that off so I can stay sharp in the spirit. Why would I do that? Because in the latter days, some people are going to depart from the faith. That is a fact, Jack. It is going to happen, and I am going to make sure to, I do what is necessary so I do not fall prey to those lies of the devil. This is what we need to do. Amen. And so say, how, well, how do I do that like impassioned thing? How do I serve God that way? I have a, a suggestion, and that is find people who are that way and do what they do. Find someone who just lives for the Lord and has deeply committed and passionate towards God. They are fully consumed by his plan and his word. Jesus said, my food, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. People who get their nourishment, their satisfaction out of their walk and relationship with God. Find people like that and just do what they do. Find giants of the faith and do what they do. Amen. We all are around people. And if, you, if you're not, well, come here. There's some strong people here. And you can find them. Lord, show me who, to, uh, who can be a model to me. Who can show me how to do this because I don't want to be a cold person. Now, when I say do that, some might have in their mind, well, if I do that, if I act like that, it's just fake. It's not real. It's phony. And I don't want to be a put on. You know, I, I, listen, I don't want to be phony at all. I, I despise phony and fake. I want to be genuine towards God, and he knows that if I'm not being genuine towards him, right? And I'm not interested in putting on a show for anybody else. But I tell you, if that's truly your heart's desire, you say, I want to live this kind of life. I do not want to be a part of one of those who depart the Lord who loves me, who shed his blood for me. I don't want to leave him. I don't want to depart from Then your heart's in the right place, and you can take on actions that 
are representative of someone who is compassionate towards God, and it will work for you. You mean, are you saying, like, do it even though I don't feel like doing it? Exactly. Not from a fake heart, from a, a, a faith heart. Not from trying to impress or put on, but being sincere in your desire to walk closely with the Lord. Do what they do and do it in faith. Well, what about when I don't feel like it? That's the best time to do it. You know, for, for those who, who think that we should always wait on the feeling, wait on the motivation. Well, I'm just lacking motivation. Well, forget about motivation and just do it. Because many people, in fact, most people, or maybe, okay, like all people, they get the experience after the, act, the action. They don't get the experience and then are just responding to it. They make a decision to be a certain way and feelings come later. Amen. Of all the, of all the times I could tell you about miracles and healings that we've seen, I like to magnify the times when I felt the power rush out of me. When I have great experience of God's glory. But can I tell you, uh, they're more fun to tell. But so many great things have happened. So many miracles have happened when I didn't feel a thing. Just felt dry as ever. But by faith said, well, this is what the word says. This is what the Lord says. So, Father, based upon your word, I do this. Based upon your word, I'm asking, I'm praying, I'm saying, I'm, I'm going to, based upon your word and your word alone, you are faithful to your word. And so I'm trusting you to do what you said you'd do. Most things happen that way. Amen. Feelings, as we say, sometimes are like the whipped cream. Thank God for whipped cream. Right? especially straight out of the can. <laughs> but how many know, if you're waiting on the whipped cream, you're going to starve. Eat the food with the whipped cream or not without the whipped cream. <laughs> right? Obey the word. Do what the Lord says. Follow those who have gone before you, those who are giants in the faith, those who are impassioned with God. When it comes to, uh, I mean, how many times have, have you worshiped God, those of you who have a, a deep, profound uh, love of God and worship him. And you've worshiped him outwardly, expressively, with emotion, and, and, and you didn't feel a thing. And you didn't really want to at the moment. You were a little bit annoyed at this or that, but you said, Lord, you are worthy of my praise. I'm worshiping you not because of how I feel, but because of who you are and what you've done for me. I love and serve you forever. Glory to God, I give you praise. And sometimes you shout with a voice of triumph, not because you feel like shouting, but because you decide to do it. You know that's what he is worthy of. You know that's what people of praise, people who walk with God, that's just the kind of stuff they do. People in the world cuss, and people who get saved, they praise. Amen. Amen. And we need to act the way we do because it's the right thing to do. That habitual uh, practice, that way of living sets us up to be ready for the day to be prepared for anything that comes our way. 
that habitual practice will have you ready and you'll never be caught off guard. I'm just going to live that way. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I wish we had another half hour. And we'll get into some more of this. The Lord wants us to be ready, not be caught off guard, not blindsided by anything that he has planned and definitely not caught up in the things of this world to take us out. Amen. Amen. And so I'm going to meet you here next week again. And we're going to pick up from there and go further. And we are going to be ready. Amen. Amen. Oh, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Pray with me today. Father, thank you for your goodness.